Hey, what's going on, you guys? This is episode nine of the Nambi Design Podcast. And in this episode, we sit down with my good friend, Tim Sickby, who is a realtor with The Agency, a luxury real estate brokerage based out in Los Angeles, California. And in this episode, we really talk about the power of identity and why identity is at the core of spiritual intelligence. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Check it out. All right, what's going on, you guys? This is Andy Un, and this is another episode of the Nobby Design Podcast. And today, I am actually super excited. I'm very thankful uh, to have a very close brother, a very close friend. I mean, it's really hard to even kind of articulate the, the friendship that I have with this guy. But uh, today, I got my brother, Tim Sickby. How y'all doing? <laughs> And uh, this interview is, uh, is unique already in itself because, A, uh, we're recording this live on Zoom as we speak, but uh, actually Tim is on his way in the car right now on the way down to San Diego. So this is definitely the first time that I've recorded a podcast while the, uh, the guest was in the car. So I'm, I'm excited about this. Um, I think Tim and I have an incredible friendship and chemistry. So um, Anyways, getting right into it, uh, I'll just do a quick intro of how I first got connected to Tim, maybe a quick uh, little bit of who Tim is to me, and then Tim, I would love for you to just take as much time as you want and just share with people who you are and, and, and all that. So number one, I used to live in Kansas City with my wife and my son from 2015 to 2017. And it was during that time that my wife and I were planting roots and we were getting ready to really settle down. We ended up purchasing a home in Kansas City. Long story short, uh, you know, God really redirected us back to Atlanta. So then we had to put our house on the market exactly a year after we bought it. And lo and behold, probably the second or third um, showing that we did through our, our real estate agent, uh, there was a, 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 a handsome uh, African-American gentleman <laughs> who walked through my door uh, with, with two of his clients. And, um, you know, it's a trip because, you know, first of all, right off the bat, he's another real estate agent. You know, I'm obviously just chopping it up. We're just showing around the house, you know, this, this and this. But um, immediately for me, I don't I didn't know what it was, but there was a there was a kinship that I felt with Tim. And it was weird because it was like, you know, the, the feeling that you get when you meet someone for the first time, but you feel like you already know them. Yeah. It's that type of like vibe, right? Yes, sir. And uh, from there, I'll just go ahead and share the story and then pass the mic to Tim. But from there, Tim looks at me and he says, hey, can you come down to the basement? Because I have something I need to share with you. And real talk, when he said that, I was thinking in my mind, I was like, I must have some cracks in the foundation. I must have a leak in my, you know what I'm saying? I got, I got leaks in my, my washer and dryer. But he brings me down to the basement and he says, man, I can't really contain this anymore, but I, I have a word from the Lord to share with you. And for the next five minutes, I mean, I'm just being real. Um, it was a genuine, powerful prophetic word that was spoken over my life. Um, he was calling out things in my life that only the Lord would know. 
And at the end of the day, I felt deeply known and deeply edified. And it was just one of those things, man, where I was just like, man, this is so crazy. This is so powerful. And really, that's been our friendship ever since, Tim. So that's been like real three years from uh, since now. Um, yeah. But I'm going to pass the mic to you, bro. That is crazy. One, thank you for the the time with me, man. You're definitely my dog. It's crazy. Um, real estate and how the Lord would use anything to connect his people, right? But for me on my side, when I walked into the house, uh, the particular clients that I had, you know, it, it was perfect timing of the Lord because these clients were from the East Coast. They were from Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly. And so they were freeing and other people. And so when I said, hey, I need to go downstairs with the seller, she didn't even trip. You know what I'm saying? She kind of was doing her own thing. And it was like clear as day. The Lord was just shouting to me about your family. And I was just kind of rocked, like, what is going on? And on our end, that, he reached out a few weeks later. And for me, I was like, well, maybe the guy wants me to sell his house. Maybe his realtor is slacking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and, and we, end up, we end up meeting at higher grounds right next to the prayer room. That's right. And you, you said, so I'm going back to Atlanta, but what are you feeling in your heart? Is there a move for you? And I said, ain't that something? I said, California. <laughs> he says, where? And I said, Pasadena. And he says, I'm about to blow your mind. And so... From there, I couldn't even believe. I went home and told my wife, like, this guy that I already felt just randomly connected to is actually yeah. connected to our future. Uh, wow. you were, the Lord really used you to connect the dots. You connected me with Anna Cavado at that point, and it, yep. just turned into, it just turned into something else. And so now here I am wow. living in California, you know what I mean, from, from a lot of that swirl. Sean Boltz had just prophesied to me about Pasadena maybe a few months before. But again, you know, you came just perfect timing of the Lord, man. Wow. Wow. No, I mean, and this is so good. Tim, man, just, just for the listeners, bro, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, bro. Like, who is Tim Sickby? Where you come from? And yeah. really, what's the journey that you've been on, man? I mean, I've heard your story so many times, and I always get something new out of it, bro. So, Yeah, so one, uh, for me, I'm first generation Nigerian here. Um, so my, my parents were raised in Africa. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. Uh, I was only there until I was probably three years old. We moved to the East Coast. We moved to Connecticut um, in a city called New Britain. And uh, from that, I wasn't raised in church. Um, you know, you, you kind of urban arenas, you know, they tell you to play sports and different things like that. And, and my father was kind of like to stay out of trouble. And you know, I wasn't that good at staying out of trouble. So uh, I'll skip forward. I end up hitting middle school. Mm. And they were trying to send me to this private school that they didn't let me in because, you know, I was just not the best kid in elementary. And so we ended up going to a private school in the ghetto, uh, which ended up closing down a year later. So that lets you know. But I remember hearing this nun sing this song. And hopefully, you know, people can really relate to the words. But this nun was singing this song and she said, freedom can be found laid down under the weight of his wood. Wow. I was in sixth grade, man. And I could not understand. I, I had no articulation at that time for what she was saying. Wow. But I started to cry. And I clearly older now, I recognized that was the anointing. She didn't have a beautiful voice, nothing about it. But the conviction that she sang with, and so my friends started making fun of me, look at Tim. And I, so I just, I didn't, I, I didn't get to sit in the moment because I started fighting back with my friends and all this in the third. But I remember those words to this day. And so from that, uh, seventh grade comes and I'm just, for people to have a context on my life. And so I ended up playing ball one day at this park mm. and I went to end up going to another private school, but in the summer I still live where I live. And so I ended up playing ball at this park. I was a hooper. I mm. can do it. I'm, I'm still decent right now. So I'll leave that <laughs> out there. 
I'll put that there. All takers, we can do it. So, so seventh grade comes, and I end up playing ball, and this kid pushed me. And so I end up hitting the kid, and all of a sudden I hear somebody yell, get him. And next thing you know, you know, 10, 15, some of them gang members are trying to jump me, and somehow I make it through all of them swinging. Wow. And my white neighbor uh, was right down the road in his car, and he said, any chance you need a ride? And he didn't even see the people chasing me. Wow. So I said, man, somebody got to be watching my life. I'll skip forward to eighth grade. Wow. And same thing. I'm playing ball at the park against this Puerto Rican kid. So I grew up around Puerto Ricans and Dominicans. Yep. Um, out here, obviously, it's, you know, straight Mexicans. I didn't even meet a Mexican until I was an adult. You know what I'm saying? On the East Coast, it's just Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, and Cubans. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Like, wow. like, this is what it is. And so um, I, I'm playing ball. I end up winning the game. Me and the kid are talking. Then he stops talking out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And I said, I got him. So I win the game, and I'm riding I'm riding to a project called Farmington Hills. I'm riding my bike. Uh, my homies are in front of me, and they, and they go. And I get to the stop sign, and the kid pulls up with the burner. Wow. So we're only about two feet away, and he's like, say something now. And at the time, I had no real regard for my life, so I'm like, well, what do you want me to say? I'm still mouthing to this kid. And so this kid is literally fighting himself whether to shoot me. I could see his struggle. And I look in the passenger seat of the car, and it was my friend Edwin from my class. Wow. He went to school with me. And he's behind a dude, like, stop talking. Turned out that was his cousin, and he was actually a shooter. Like, so he wow. was trying to let me know, like, yo, stop playing, bro. Wow. So I stopped talking. The kid ends up fighting himself, drives away. And I said, man, somebody's really watching my life, because that was going to be a cold case. Nobody was there. You know what wow. I'm saying? Wow. And so, so before I even knew who God was, wow. he already was showing himself to be my father. Mm before I even knew who he was. You mm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully whoever's listening, you know, that'll be a blessing to your own life. That God, God has been fathering you even before you knew he was your father. Mm. So I get to high school, I end up meeting my best friend. His name was Dana. And uh, he was the first kid that I was like, man, he's never going to stop fighting. We, we met playing basketball at the Boys and Girls Club. And uh, I knew, I was like, man, he's the one dude I don't think I want to fight because he's never going to stop. It's just going to be forever. <laughs> and that same day, he came to my house, and we were together every day ever since. So Dana grew up different because I had my father in my life, and I believe that God did that on purpose, so I don't think I'd be here now. Dana didn't have His dad was in and out of jail, like just a very different situation. I've seen his mother slam grown men on cars. Like he, he grew up in the bees. It was just a very, but me and him, that was my brother, man. And so needless to say, he, he keeps talking to me about God. So here this kid is in the projects. But he had an aunt and uncle that were pastors. They passed like a little church, like 15 people in the hood. And just the realest cat I know, but just the most humble cat I know. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so he's talking to me about God. So I skip forward. 11th grade comes. Now, mind you, me, him, and somebody else were about to get jumped by like 30 people. And Dana stands in front of the whole clique and says, bring your best guy out and let me run him a fair one. So we're in front of 30 people, three of us. And this is the type of line that he is. Mm-hmm. So we're in this girl's quinceanera party, man. And... Just for context, we were born four days apart, one year apart. So we were both born in July. I was 16. He was 17. Mm. And we're in the back of this party, only me and him. And he breaks down bawling. I've never seen somebody cry that hard. Wow. And he says, I don't think I'm going to live to see 18. Wow. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I know we've been through a lot of things, but you're going to be cool. This dude will not, inconsolable, like won't stop crying. A week later, man, I have a dream. Dana dies in a car accident. So we wow. had pages at the time. So I ended up paging him like, yo, you good? He's like, yeah, I was driving in the car with no brakes. Maybe that was it. So I said, better. I'm not going to think about it. Wow. So I go to school a week later. 
his mother became a school bus driver. So we're leaving school. It's him, me, and his mom. And me and his mom are saying, call me. So he said, I got you. I never hear from him. The next day I go to school, my school had like 2,500, 3,000 people in it. And I get off my bus December 14th, uh, 1999. And everybody's huddled in front of the school. So I'm like, well, son, that had to happen if all these people are in front of the school in the middle of winter. And I get off my bus, man, and all eyes on me. And I'm like, what is everybody doing? And my boy Brandon says, hold on, you of all people don't know, Dana died in a car accident. Wow. So one, he already knew something was going to happen to him. Two, I have a dream about it. Wow. So at the time, I don't have any way to process this. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, yo, is this a, is this a joke? So I, I, somebody had a car. I said, yo, bring me to Dana's house. So his mother's there, little small project, like 100 people. I let everybody leave. And I say, listen, I don't know what to do. I know that was only my friend and that was his son, but I don't know what to do. Mm. She says, what you don't know is a prophet came to the church and told him something would happen to him. But if he remembered the Lord, he'd be saved. Wow. What actually happened, man, he ended up stealing a car and he went to go bring it to the chop shop to get the money for the car. And somebody hit him on the highway on the way. He was stuck under the steering wheel for a half hour. Our other homie, James, was there. Wow. He's seen this whole thing go down. He was following in another car. And so he tries to jump off a bridge before the police come. They snatch him up. It's a wrap. Like, it was, it was a major thing for high school. You know what I'm saying? Like, we were really mentally, man, it was a wrap for me. And so, you know, basketball, still playing AAU, but it was a wrap. Like, I, I failed everything. I started wearing black hoodies every day. I didn't really know how to process what was going on. So the next year comes, and, and I'll skip forward. Wow. The next year comes, and I remember going to this, you know, party in the ghetto, and this girl sends her friend over, Puerto Rican girl, beautiful girl. She sends her friend to bring me this note. You know, when people used to make the little ninja notes, they used to make the little ninja stars as a note. You had to unfold it and all that. And so the, the note, I opened it up and it says, I'll date you if you come with me to church. Mm. And I said, this girl is so weird, but she was beautiful. So I'm in there, right? So I said, I'm going. I'm going. For sure, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you at your church for sure. And so I'm on my way. And uh, I end up getting into church now. Right before then, I felt like the people that I was around were trying to set me up. And to what level, I don't know, but I knew it would do me harm somehow. But I couldn't, I couldn't really like confirm it. But I just could feel like something's off. But maybe yeah. I'm just tripping. Yeah. And then I go into the church and they start singing a song. God has given me a window, and I can finally see the light. Mm. And I didn't even know what that meant, but I was like, man, this song is so powerful. Whatever they're singing, I had the chain on. Allen Iverson, Cornrows, Timberland Boots before they came back out. Yeah. Sure enough, man, the youth pastor, 150 kids on a Friday night. I'm like, what are all these kids doing in church on a Friday in the inner city? Like, all these things we could be doing, what are y'all doing? And the youth pastor says, there's someone in here. He starts describing my whole life. Wow. He says, if that's you, come to the front. Wow. So I, I go to the front, and uh, his wife says, God's been speaking to you, but you didn't understand his voice. Your friends are trying to set you up. And she says... God's going to move you. You're going to change locations. He's going to give you new friends. You're going to start your life over. Man, I go home. It was only me and my father at that time. I go home two hours later, that same night. My father says, son, sit down. I need to talk to you. We're moving. Wow. He had never said a word about moving. And so that was my introduction to the gospel. And I tell people, I met the Lord first before I even encountered the church so I could understand the difference. Come on. Wow. And, and I think sometimes we can confuse the two. You know what I mean? So for me, there was no question that God was real. And what do we do with this conversation now? So that's how I came into the kingdom. 
and from that, you know, the Lord did a lot of things. And then I ended up, someone randomly invited me to a one thing. Um, they said, yeah, I'm moving to Kansas City to be part of IHOP. I said, who moves cross country for food? She said, no, 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 no. It's, it's a 24-7 house of prayer. I said, in America? 24-7 what? She said, all day, every day, they're singing to God. I wow. said, in America. She said, wow. oh, yeah, in Kansas City. Now, to us on the East Coast, if it's past New Jersey, we don't know where that is. You know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> I was like, Kansas City, where's that? And she was like, you know, Missouri, you got to come to this conference. And I was like, I I'm so happy for you, but nobody's going out there. Like, that's what are you talking about? And so she kept badgering me, man, you got to come, you got to come. And I'm like, I'm not going, you know, to Kansas City. And out wow. of nowhere, she said, somebody's willing to pay for your plane ticket as well as your hotel. I said, what time do we leave, right? So <laughs> I ended up going to this one thing. Now, here's what's crazy. This, this matters. So I, I was doing a, a Brooklyn boot camp outreach. Yep. Um, with, I forgot his name, Bill, Bill something. Bill Wilson, I believe. And um, we're, we're in Brooklyn, man. And this girl, there was a team from Iowa doing the outreach too. And this girl was like, you need to hear this song or this album by a woman named Misty Edwards. So I'm mm. still wearing t-shirts on my head, chains and all this in the third. And I listened to this album and this woman is singing about a bridegroom God, like just, you know, I'm like, man, this thing is weird. I'm, I'm good, you know what I'm saying? So I give wow. her the CD back, like you can keep that. So here we are a year or two later and I get invited to one thing mm. and I get there and before it starts, they got this CD on with this woman saying, let the fire burn consuming me. And I mm. see people at the altar weeping. I'm breaking down in the presence of God. So I go to somebody, who's this singing? And mm. she says, a woman named Misty Edwards. Wow. And I remember the CD, right? Wow. So that same night, I have a dream with Misty Edwards that I was doing a rap song with Misty. The next day, I sit down in a breakout session who sits right beside Misty Edwards. And so that was my beginning with IHOP. And I kept dreaming of major leaders and God would just have me continually connect with them. And what, three years later, we end up moving to the house of prayer in Kansas City, man. And so for context, that's that's kind of the beginning of my story. I, you know, I'm, I'm chopping and, and doing all those things just for sake of time. Yeah, no, it's, it's so it's good. Been, it's really been a sovereign move of the Lord, man. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. So real quick, Tim, just to kind of catch people up to speed. I mean, obviously, there's different layers of your story, even from your time in the house of prayer and, you know, what you were doing in Kansas City. But uh, just real quick, how did you actually get into the world of real estate? And, and what are you doing right now? Cool. So real estate, what's incredible, man, is when I was in Connecticut, uh, we were we were pretty much young adult pastors. And I was doing entrepreneurship, but at that time, I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. Like, I didn't know when someone's not telling you what to do, how you have to manage your own schedule now, you know, what it looks like to find clientele, the whole thing. So I ended up having to get a job. So here's what's crazy. So I remember I had no job, you know, no money, no nothing. Uh, we were going to go find a place. I go find a place. I sign a lease for a place when I have no money. And I remember leaving like, God, why in the world did I sign this lease? And my friend from high school who played, uh, high school basketball with me. He was in the NFL for a little bit. He calls me right after, five minutes after I signed his lease. He says, Tim, any chance you need a job? Mm. I said, there's a, there's a great chance. And it ended up being short sales and deed and lose for Bank of America. Mm. So here I am calling people in California. It was right after the crash who owe a million on houses that are now worth 700,000. Wow. Because at that time you could say, Hey, I make 500 and you wouldn't even have to prove it. That's right. 
you could just say it, right? And so that was right after all these people were under market, underwater in their homes. And so here I am on the phone making a call saying, I'm your last line of defense mm. before foreclosure and bankruptcy. Mm. And so I'm pleading with people over the phone about their homes. Mm. So when the Lord told us to move to Kansas City, my manager out of nowhere throws a real estate manual on my desk. Mm. It says, you're going to need this where you're going. I said, sure I am, buddy. You know, in my mind, I'm like, you don't even know God, right? This is what I'm thinking. How <laughs> foolish we are. And my prophetic friend from Nashville calls me out of nowhere. And he said, you're going to meet a man named Daniel who opened doors for you. So I moved to Kansas City and I don't have a job. And what our first week there, this woman comes up to us and says, I used to see you guys on the stage in Connecticut. I'm like, who are you? And she said, you know, my ex-husband well. Well, anyway, I said, what do you do? She says, I work for Gladheart Realty, which was Mike Bickle's wife's realty company through, through IHOP. Wow. And we meet up. She wanted to meet with me. I think back then she probably wanted to sell us a house. But during the meeting, I'm talking and she says, hold on, hold on. The Lord just spoke to me. I need to connect you with someone. His name is Daniel. <laughs> so I end up meeting with this Daniel. Daniel was a loan officer. Daniel said, look, man. You just had a baby. You just moved here. You know, you could become a loan officer. But what I'm really feeling is if you become a real estate agent, I can help you make money. I have a meeting with Gladheart Realty tomorrow. I'm going to bring you and not tell them why. Wow. So I'm like, okay. So I show up and uh, Mike Bickle's wife's there. Now, I just got hired to be a high school basketball coach. And mm. who's sitting in the room? The athletic director who hired me. So I'm looking at him like, what are you doing here? He's looking at me like, what are you doing here? I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. He says, my sister-in-law's the broker. Have you met her yet? I said, no. Nope. Turns out he married my Bickle sister. Wow. So, I meet this man walks away. So Diane says, hey, I, be, I probably do need to meet you, but I'm running the meeting. So can we talk later? So I thought nothing of it. She emails me that same night. I meet her the next day. I tell her everything I just told you. She pays for me to get a license in two states. I become a real estate agent. Nothing happens for six months. The next month, a family from California comes, buys a house, $1.2 cash, the highest they ever had at Gladheart at the time. Wow. So there was a prophetic story with California from the beginning. And wow. so from that, from that now, moving to California, I work for a company here uh, called The Agency. Uh, mm. And The Agency is uh, a very peculiar company, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. No, this is so good, Tim. And I mean, one of the things that I always kind of marvel at as I listen to your story again and again is, you know, for you, the voice of the Lord had been present from the beginning. And I feel like that's really special, man, because I feel like the reason why I feel like our ability to discern and hear his voice is so powerful and even life-changing is number one it proves to us that he's a real god he's a living yes. god yes. right like like for some people their conception of god is kind of more of the deist where he's like the the the, the, the clockmaker in heaven who's kind of wound up planet earth and he's kind of sitting back and uninvolved but you know when you hear stories like yourself and so many others you can't help but to see a different image of who he is that he's not just out there, but he's, he's deeply involved. He's deeply committed and he has a plan and a purpose for us. My, my question to you, bro, cause I know there's other things that, that, that are on your heart and I just want to give you the freedom to share, but what role has the voice of the father, the voice of God 
had in your life. I mean, clearly, even the stories you've shared so far are so um, uh, clear examples of that. But what 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 role has the voice of God had in your life and still has in your life to this day? Yeah, that's probably um, the most potent question anyone could ask, right? I think for me, I wouldn't be alive, no cap, no hype. I wouldn't be alive without the voice of the Lord because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known one. My friends are trying to set me up, wow. right? Um, if God doesn't give me a dream that my friend dies prior, how do I respond when that happens? Wow! Right? I, I could get emotional right now. Um, I wouldn't have known to move or be at the right place at the right time. I was in a car accident, and as the car is flipping, I wasn't driving. I hear a voice tell me, you're not going to die. And so the voice of the Lord has probably been the greatest comfort for me in mm. times of crisis. Mm. But it also let me know how much God is willing to father us. Mm. And sometimes it feels like this Old Testament thought process on when you do X, Y, and Z, then maybe God will adhere to you, mm. right? Mm. But I wasn't even looking for him. Mm. And on the flip side of that, in the Bible where he speaks to his people um, through Stephen who ends up getting stoned about their stiff-necked people. So God was trying to give them this same guidance and direction, but their hearts were hardened so they couldn't receive it. And so in our day, it makes me feel, because I've seen where my heart's been hardened to the wow. voice of my father and how consistent he's been to come back anyway. Wow. But in, but in the Old Testament, they didn't have that same type of grace that we're walking in now. And mm. so I feel like I've been given a different appreciation mm. on the mercy of God through his voice. Wow. Wow. Tim, I want to ask you a quick question, man, because, you know, one of the things that, that, that I consistently try to hit on through the podcast is to make spiritual things real, relevant, and relatable for people. Um, for you, real quick, man, I mean, for, for the person who's, who's, who's curious, it's like, man, I believe God speaks and I want to hear his voice. I want to, I want to live a lifestyle of, of, of just walking with him and to, and to be able to connect with him in that way. What would you say, bro? Like, what are some, what are some maybe practical guidances that you would give to a person that, that wants to open that realm of, of their life? Yo, one, I love the question. So Psalm 100, verse four says we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praises mm. and i think we tend to enter god's uh we try to enter in with needs wow and he's promised in his word that if we praise him and are thankful that we can enter where he is we can get wow. closer to him right so the bible says draw near to god and he'll draw near unto you and he already said enter into my gates with thanksgiving and my courts with praises right so if you live in a house for instance and there's gates in the front Unless someone gives you access to unlock the gate, you can't get in. Wow. God has given us access to unlock the gate. He's given us the wisdom to unlock the gate. Thanksgiving and praise, one, is how you'll get closer to the Lord. And proximity is important if you want to hear him on a deeper level, right? Mm. Second, second, I've seen a lot of people um, want to hear deeply from God, but never read the Bible. And wow. I think it's very hard to discern whether you're hearing God without the Bible. Wow. Because you don't have a baseline for what he speaks like, what he thinks like to even know. So, so Andy, you're my man, right? So somebody came and said, yo, Andy said this about you. I would be able to know off the cuff if you actually said that because I know who you are. Mm. 
but if I didn't have any real context with you, somebody could come tell me you said anything and I might be liable, right? Mm. So, so our enemy has the ability to lead us astray by not knowing what our father's actually like. The third thing that I would say is solitude, man. Mm. Silence is a gift. And for somebody who's, a, a, you know, what they call a natural A personality, you know, I'm a debater, profile, you know, ENTP, like mm. solitude can be the most difficult thing, even for a prophetic person. But solitude, when everything is silent, you stop warring against God and yourself. Mm. It takes a lot of practice. Mm. But I think that the, the biggest barrier to hearing from God mm. is our natural mind and what we think. So what I hear you saying, Tim, is that just like any other skill, being able to listen and perceive and dis to discern his voice, it's a skill, so to speak, that we can develop. But really what you're saying is it requires a resolve and an intentionality. 100%. Because if we know that he's our father and we know that he's God, then if we feel like we're not hearing, is the issue on his end or not? Right? Yeah. And so in, in the business world, if we're not successful in the moment, but other people are, do we say the business doesn't work or, or is there something that we may not be relating to, right? Mm. So there's just a humility that comes with that. Like, hey, I'm probably the problem. Doesn't mm. mean that we're a problem or we're, we're flawed as people. Mm. But it means that my processes, the way I go about things, may not be efficient in a way that will make me successful in my endeavor. So mm. we already know God is real. If we know he's our father and he loves us as people, then the disconnect is probably not on our side, but it takes a humbling. And he says scripturally that his people weren't willing to humble themselves. They blamed him. Mm. 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 That's so good, bro. Um, I want to kind of maybe pivot a little bit, maybe just... Uh, yeah, transition a little bit in the conversation, but really it's kind of a, just a natural outflow. But, you know, I know, Tim, for you, one of the things that has been on your heart, things that you and I have been chopping it about has been really, really on this, this topic and this idea or this reality of the fatherhood of God, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I just want to kind of give a quick preface, and then I want to just let you share, you know, what's on your heart with this. But I feel like, for so many people, the fatherhood of God, it's, it's an interesting concept in, in multiple different uh, ways or multiple different kind of uh, directions. But like, first and foremost, just the idea of God alone is, you know, there's so many conceptions or misconceptions that are there. But going back to what even you said, it's like scripture is the expressed intent. It is it is the baseline for understanding. It's the baseline of truth. And even going off of what you were saying, how, you know, Jesus really came to reveal the father, right? Yes. That was, that was, that was his mission in, in almost encapsulated was to reveal the father. And so we see that through the son, who is the actual spokesperson of God, we're seeing that he's revealing the core of who God is as a father and so now we're invited into this revelation. How do we engage with this father? How do we understand the father? And just, just letting you share, bro, like, what are your thoughts on this? What has been your journey on this? And yeah, just what's on your heart as it pertains to, even for those that are like, man, like this thing about fatherhood uh, with God and, and, and even relating to him in that way is still something that I'm growing in. Um, but I want to grow and I want to develop. I want to be intentional about it. Yeah, let me say this, man. Um, 
you know, what you're doing to me is just amazing. Even with these, with these podcasts, let me just put that out there first. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the goodness of God uh, in it and, and towards you, man. So let me put that out there. Second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people will hear, you know, all the th- the ways that God encountered me and all these different things. Right. But little did I know at the time I was still an orphan, even spiritually, even wow. in the midst of hearing God in an, in an unusual way. And, and when I was younger, I probably was more like Joseph, like look at the way God's speaking to me, but it was only because I didn't have any confidence in anything else. Right. And mm. so I didn't have confidence in sonship, but everyone around me is like, man, look how much you must be worth to God for him to speak to you in this way to make sure your life was preserved. You know, you met your wife through his work, like all these things from the outside. It's like, man, God speaking to you. And I knew like, okay, this is cool, but why do I still feel alone in this walk? Right. Wow. And so, and so I want to, I want to share on that because I think there's a lot of us gifted in the body that are still orphans. Wow. We're still orphans and we're hiding behind our gifts and our abilities. And Israel did the same thing. Um, you know, Israel was looking for what they could offer rather than resting in the fact that we have a father who's taking care of us. Right. Even mm-hmm. if he's delivering them from, from Egypt. So here we come, here we come. You, we're, we're getting delivered from the kingdom of this world, right. Unto the kingdom of God. Yet, we're still orphaned in our mentality and feeling like we need to make things happen. So I'm reading a book called spiritual slavery to spiritual sonship. And the biggest statement from the book are orphans have to fight for everything. There's no inheritance. Sons just gain and walk into an inheritance. Mm. And when I tell you there's probably nothing more lacking or needed in a body than this revelation of God as our father, it would take away a lot of our issues amongst each other, you know, the fighting for positioning, you know, that whole thing. I feel like most of the body is either the prodigal son who couldn't really believe he could go back and he thought if I could come back, you know, at least I can work as the slaves do or, or the servants do in my father's house. Or they're like the older brother, like, man, I've done everything right. And here you go giving all these other people these opportunities, right? And so for me, wow. this recent journey has been in a surrendering of letting God father me, right? Because a lot of people say they want God to father them until he does. And look what the Bible says. Hebrews talks about if you had natural fathers that you listened to and they did their best to lead you and you knew that they had wisdom to give you and you honored and respect them, how much more the perfect father should you surrender to his leadership, right? But if we take it back, look at what Jesus says. He says, which man among you, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? In the same way, which man among you, if your son asked asked for bread, would give him a stone? If you being evil would do that, how much more would your father being good give unto Mm. those, right? And so he's basically talking about the heart of the father. Why is he saying that? Because he's saying, do not despise his disciplines. But if you don't know his heart, you will despise him. Mm. If you don't know he's for you, you will despise him. And that's what Israel did. And I keep talking about Israel because sometimes we think, Oh, I would never do that. Not recognizing we're in the same storyline right now. Mm. We're, we're, we're the same Israel right now mm. where we're rebelling against our father mm. who's trying to get us away from the kingdom of this world. But because we don't understand his ways, we're rebelling and despising his disciplines. Mm. And so one thing that I believe we have to understand when we come to God as a father is father's discipline. That's not all he is. Mm. But when you but when you don't understand his ways, 
Mm. He disciplines to get you to change how we walk. And wow. I think that's the biggest issue for most people when it comes to God is that he's not willing to let us do whatever we want, not for the sake of rules, but because he's our father. Wow. 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 No, bro, this is so good, man. And I, and I feel like a quote came to my mind just even as you were sharing, and I'm going to probably butcher the quote a little bit, but you know, you'll, you'll, you'll piece it together and, and get the gist of it. But I heard a person once say that we are the product of the opinion of the person that is of highest value to us in our life. I'll, I'll say that one more time. Sorry. That's a phone call. This is real life. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'll say that one more time. We are the product of the opinion of the person that is of highest value in our life. And I just, I just equate that so much to what you're saying because, you know, it sounds cliche, but when you really ponder it and you really think about it, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of truth there that the opinion that we have about God, right? Whether it's the absence of him or whether it be the presence of him, but the opinion that we have about God, the thoughts that we have about him, if you really think about it, it is the most, it's the most uh, important question of our lives. It is the most yes. important question of our lives. It literally, I, I would even say this, it determines everything. And, and just a quick 30 seconds on this, you know, even as I coach people, whether they be believers or not, somehow we always end up going to this question because in some shape or form, because what people discover is that the nature of this question is the bedrock in the root system of every behavior of every thought pattern that's in their life. hundred percent. You got anything you want to say on that, Tim? Yeah. And, and that's what I mean that even, even right. So you can have this get saved experience, right? You can have a girl invite you to church. You know, you can show up there. They can prophesy into your life. You can do that whole thing. But if the undertones, the undercurrents of your life are not screaming, you have a father in God who loves you and he's for you, then the orphan mentality will dominate the way you live, move, think, where you feel like your worth comes from, what you're wow. willing to do to affirm wow. that worth or lack of worth. And so I think there's a lot of us in his house that genuinely love him, but still don't feel like we belong to him or anywhere. And mm. here we are trying to work our way into his heart. If I just do all the right things, God will love me. We don't say that, right? Mm. But, but if I just do all the right things, you know, I'll be a good parent or all, all these different things. We're, we're working so hard to get something that we can never earn from him that he's freely given. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so, and so the, without that knowledge of it, though, Mm. without acknowledging that it's a free gift and then partnering with him and letting him father us. Yes. Then that's when religion becomes a yoke that we can't carry. Wow. Wow. Man, I, this is so good, bro. Like, again, just even as you're sharing this, this other thought came to me, which was, you know, oftentimes, right. Um, obviously this would be a little bit more relevant for, for those who may be in the church or believers or whatever it is. But I mean, we're, we're all kind of exposed to this type of idea, but you know, oftentimes we think about the Christian life and this walk of following Jesus. And we think about, man, I need to become more like him. Right. Um, 
that's that 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 would be a very cliche understanding is that I need to I need to become more like him or 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 that's what this is about is to become more like Jesus. And I don't know about you Tim but for me I think definitely in my earlier years I always thought that that had to do with emulation trying to emulate Jesus. But oftentimes what I realized was that as I tried to emulate him there would always be something very empty and and I would fall short time and time and time again. And what I came to realize probably a little bit later in my 20s was that actually becoming like Jesus had very little to do with emulating him, but had so much more to do with going to the source of where he found his source. Yes. So it, it wasn't necessarily emulating the acts or the characteristics of Jesus, but it was actually stepping into his identity as a beloved son. And I, and I remember that so clearly just for me, it was around the age of 27 where I could really say, you know, if I'm just keeping it real, it was almost another born again experience. It was like another layer of going deeper in this, in this thing we call identity. But, um, it was when I started to really understand and, and begin to grasp that it was his identity as a son before a father that allowed him to have the sense of security, the sense of peace, the sense of identity that would therein allow him to go into the world and live the life that he lived. I don't know if that was pretty clear, but clear as day, <laughs> clear as day. And what I what I would what I would add to that, alongside that, or partner with that, is I think I can see clearly why. He would say, you know, orphans don't really have an inheritance. Let me tell you why. So you brought up the Lord and how, you know, he could rest in his sonship. Mm. But in that rest is the only reason that he could embrace the cross. Right. Mm. Because remembering that that God is a good father. And so whatever way he leads me is best. Right. So Mm. here he goes. He asked his son to go die for the people. Wow. Right. He asked his son to go die for the people. And the son says, you're my father. I trust you. I'll do it. Mm. Right. On the cross, he's saying, why have you forsaken me? Right. Mm. But then he says, it is finished. So he's basically saying, I've run my race. I've done it. And when you look at Abraham, right, God gives him a promise. Mm. And then he actually obtains a promise. And then God says, all right, surrender to me. Give it to me. And Abraham trusts God enough to do it. And right before he does it, look look what happens. There's an angel there that says, don't do it. For God only did this to see if you would obey him. And mm. there's already a ram in the thicket. There was already provision, right? Mm. But if he doesn't trust God as a father and a leader, mm. then what, what ended up happening, right? And mm. so David, King David, same thing. He's on a journey where he's getting words and, and this is going to happen. He's already anointed. But then somebody's mm. coming for his life. Mm. And right, right when he could have taken the throne, he could have killed Saul. He doesn't, right? Because he's trusting in his father's leadership. Yeah. Right? Every, everywhere you turn there's all these examples of people who had to trust mm. his leadership mm. and everyone in the Bible who didn't trust his leadership, it never ended well for them. Right. Mm. And so here we are now, especially a generation now where the prophetic spirit seems like it's flowing more than ever. Yeah. People with major prophecies over their life. Yeah. However, so many of us, because of our orphan mentality are illegally trying to inherit these promises or make them happen. Wow. And I only bring that up to say without real trust in his leadership, 
we can never inherit anything. And that's why there's no inheritance. You know what, Tim? I mean, for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of start to wrap this one up. But I mean, it's very clear that we got to do a round two, my guy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We very clearly got to do a round two. um, Because I feel like, yeah, man, there's, you know, I feel like this, this podcast was such a clear platform and setup to go deeper in this reality. But, you know, I'll just say this, bro, is, um, you know, what you just said was so profound. And, 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 and I say that because, you know, oftentimes, um, even as I talk about spiritual intelligence and wanting to become more attuned or aware of that, that part of our life or that realm in our life, right? But really at the end of the day, and this is kind of me exposing my cards a little bit, right? Is at the end of the day, true and true spiritual intelligence ultimately leads us to the person himself, right? It's like we can become very intelligent in in the world of spirituality, but if we really want to understand the source of all source, it is actually in knowing God himself. And and, and that's just really what I was feeling as you were sharing what you were sharing, bro, because, you know, um, what you're saying is so real. And I feel like this resonates with so many people that, you know, we could be gifted, we can, we can have understanding in a certain arena, but really at the end of the day, are we as human beings in our spirit, are we secure in the genuineness of our identity? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Which allows us to walk this journey that God has laid out for us um, in the ways that he has, let's just say, ordained for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is so equally profound because at the end of the day, you know, obviously Ecclesiastes tells us there's a, there's a time for, to, to be born and a time to die and all these things. So obviously our lives are supposed to go somewhere. Right. Mm. And, and if you remember, they wasted time in the wilderness. Why? Because they were offended at his ways. Mm. And I don't want to, you know, jump on anyone's podcast pulpit or anything and, and act like I've arrived. Right. But yes. You know, Paul said, we have, I haven't yet obtained, but forgetting what's behind me, I press on, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the thing that the Lord has been shouting at me more than anything is, do not be offended at my ways. Do not be offended at my leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Because my leadership really is perfect. And that's a statement that's, that's really, you know, spoken quite a bit at IHOP, but it's such a countercultural, right, to sit in a prayer room in the midst of the world moving you know, to ask people for support and do that, right? But as an entrepreneur, what if God tells you not to do the same hustle and bustle and eight hours prospecting that, that the world tells you is how you gain success, right? What if God tells you, slow down and learn of me for mm-hmm. my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that mm-hmm. directly goes against our natural senses of making something happen, right? And mm-hmm. so, and so not being offended at his leadership immediately brings us into a dance. Mm. It immediately brings us into a dance on what practicality do I keep? And when he speaks the opposite, what spirituality do I surrender to that affects my natural? Wow. Well, <laughs> Tim, I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to go ahead and declare it. We are clearly going to do a part two, my guy, because yes, sir, bro, this is, um, 
I just feel it in my heart, man. I think there's a deep resonance to what we're talking about today. And, and like you said, it goes for myself, like the, the, the desire to talk about these things is not because I've arrived to talk about it, but it's so much because I'm in that journey myself that I long to um, process and, and, and talk about it and go deeper myself. So um, Tim, thank you so much, bro, for your time this morning. Uh, bro, I, I just feel like, man, this has been a great, great part one, man, to what I hope to be a part two and even a part three, man. But um, yeah, Tim, uh, Tim is a very close friend. It's been a joy to have him on this podcast. As always, um, on the Nabi Design Podcast, I hope that what we are bringing is uh, valuable content, uh, whether it comes in the form of story or sharing or teaching. Um, that's really something that is like food for the soul, something that you can uh, bring into your life and, and that it would feed you in some, some shape or form. So anyways, Tim, you want to say goodbye to the guests? Yeah, I appreciate it. And let me just say, man, I believe that this is the beginning of something major uh, for Andy. I just want to say this on the <laughs> podcast, on the air. I want to put it in the atmosphere that, that I believe what you're doing, man, is going to affect uh, world influencers. Mark my words on that. Mm. Mm. That's a bet, bro. I received that. Thank you guys for tuning in. God bless and much love. Peace.